I've been uh, blessed to be with Antioch for the last year and a half. Church has been going for two years, and um, it is amazing to see what God is doing here um, in our lives and, and through our lives as we just continue to v- devote ourselves to, to him and follow after God as, as much as we can. And so let's pray real quick and we'll get started this morning. Father God, here we are once again gathered in this room. It's been a crazy uh, week. A lot has gone on, I'm sure, in our lives and traveling and family and trying to remember um, you in the midst of it all. So God, this morning, we just want to pause. We want to reflect. We want to remember you. We want to spend time giving you praise, giving you glory. Lord, would you, uh, would you be here with us? Would you teach us? Would you challenge us? Lord, we, uh, we come to church to, uh, to do a couple of things, to fellowship, to learn more about you, to bring you glory, to uh, remember who you are and, and what you've done for us. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. We just thank you, Father, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've got a uh, seven-month-old at our house, and the other, uh, the other night I was feeding him his uh, Gerber squash and peas. And um, gave him the first bite, and the look on his face was, it was twofold. One, it was, it was priceless, because it was just so disgusted. Um, and then the other one was just comical. I just kind of laughed, because it was the look of, of disgust. And so, um, so it was a good good father, I tasted it, and soon I had the same face um, as, as he did. But um, it got me thinking about a psalm. If you're taking notes, you can just jot it down. If you want, you can read it up um, or follow along with me behind me. But it says, Psalm 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Gerber squash, not so good. But when you read that, taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of you, I'm sure, are saying, yes, I've tasted of God, and he's good. And maybe there's some of you here this morning who said, I've tried to taste of God, and it's not so good. And, and right now, God's a bitterness in my mouth. God doesn't taste good. Um, And so wherever you're at this morning, whether God tastes good to you or God doesn't taste good to you, that's what I want us to look at our our time here this morning, is this idea that there is a God who you can taste, you can see. There's a God you can experience. And I've learned in my life, as I know some of you have in your life, that 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 God, the God of the Bible, is a good-tasting God. You can see his goodness. You can see his hand in your life. And hopefully that, that propels you to be more close, more intimate with this God. And I just want you to, before we go any further, to grasp that this God is tasteable. We can experience him. We can walk with him. He's tangible for us. And I hope that by the end of our time here this morning, you've, you've gotten a little taste. Maybe it's a little Gerber. This thing's like shooting off my ear. 
got a Dumbo ear, I guess, compared to Ken. Stay on. That this God is a God who tastes good and, and wants us to taste of him. He doesn't want us to have that Gerber look when we, when we taste of him. And so this morning we're going to spend the majority of our time in the book of Joshua. So if you brought a Bible, let's go to the book of Joshua. Got some reading to do to tell the story. And here's a group of people that tasted God. Here's a group of people who, they went through it for a long time. Longer than I'm even, I've even been alive, these guys and gals went through it. And this morning we're going to look at how they tasted of God and what God did in their life. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. That's just a real bummer of a first assignment. I mean, put yourself in Joshua's shoes. Moses, who the people have followed pretty much faithfully for 40 years through the wilderness, they saw God do amazing things through Moses. And now it's Joshua's turn. And his first line, his first act is God calls him to go cross this Jordan. That's a, that's a big challenge. That's a big task for Joshua. Well, we know that um, Joshua was Moses' right-hand assistant man for 40 years. We also know that Joshua was one of, the 12, one of 12 spies who went out and spied the promised land. Joshua was one of two who came back and said, let's, let's take this land in the name of the Lord and through the strength of God. And we also know that Joshua was 85 years old when he took over for Moses. So those of you that are 85 here this morning, um, I don't think God's done with you. Go find the Jordan, rally some, no. Um, God's not done with you. When he's done with you, he'll, he'll take you home. So 85, we see Joshua rally these people and, and cross this Jordan. Let's continue on. We're going to pick up in uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. So here goes the story. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters, verse 16, coming down from heaven stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. And geographically, Adam is 22 miles north of this spot, the city that is beside Zerathen. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Areba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground. And so all the nations finished passing over the Jordan. I'm going to dip into chapter 4 here. It's not up on the screen. 
When all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, check this out, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bringing and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. The people crossed the Jordan on dry ground. God pulled this off for Joshua and the people. God had a plan. God had a purpose. God had a destination for his people. And there was an obstacle in the way. And God said, I got you covered. Don't worry about this. And the people crossed through the midst of the Jordan. And then I love what Joshua said. He's like, hey, guy, or God told him, hey, guys, go grab 12 stones. And so we see that they went and they grabbed these 12 stones. I think the priests had a little bit smaller feet back then, but um, they went and they grabbed these stones where the priests stood. And a little bit we're going to read that they went and they took 12 of them and they stacked them to make a monument. They stacked these 12 stones and... Let's go ahead and finish up the story here this morning. Chapter 4, verse 19. Then the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the, re- on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. 21, and he said to the people of Israel, check this out what he says, When your children ask, their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until they passed over as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Last verse 24. So all the peoples of the earth so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear, that you may respect, that you may be in awe of the Lord your God forever. What a scene. What a story. Joshua and those people truly tasted that God was good. They experienced it. They lived it. They were in the moment. And there God showed up and delivered them, saved them, his, their salvation. What about you? What about me? Is God just a God of the dusty Old Testament Is God just Jesus and it stopped with him and now we're on our own and no direction, nowhere to go? Or does God still move? Does God still help you and I cross our Jordans? I think there's this this great quote in Francis Chan's book called Crazy Love. And it's basically that we have spiritual amnesia. I'm, I'm totally guilty of that. Just today, we were, we were praying before the service started, and, and somebody prayed, you know, hey, guys, as we continue to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, I was like, 
man, that was Wednesday. I've forgotten already. But we have spiritual amnesia. God does these amazing things and then we forget. And then we, cross, we come to another situation and I don't know, is God going to get us through? I don't know. And then we, we forget of all the things he's done in the past for us. A.W. Tozer has a quote, um, and it, there it is. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate, that's right, fellas, intimate, gals, you too, an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness, It's a word, inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. I want that. I want that. I want that to be me, to know the sweetness of God. So this morning, we're going to cure our spiritual amnesia. Here's how we're going to do it. At this point, I'm going to ask the ushers to come, and they're going to be passing out rocks. And so I figured instead of having you guys go and make like big rock piles like this in your living room and saying, you know, that's the time when I figured what I'd do is I'd, I'd go to the store and I'd buy, so we're going to do like opposite of tithing. We're going to give you a rock. I know it's not like, great, man. I've tithed this church for years and you're giving me a rock. Um, anyways, so here's what I want you to do. Take a rock, one per person, one per family, whatever you want to do, and you're going to write a one with a Sharpie. When you get home, I got homework, you're going to write a one on this rock. And then you're going to get a sweet vase or vase, however you want to call it, like this. And you're going to put your one rock in there. And then you're going to get yourself a journal. And then what you're going to do is you're going to open up your journal. You're going to write one. The time God healed me of cancer. Then about three, four months later, something else is going to happen in your life. And you're going to go find another rock. Or maybe you, you, know, you live ahead of time and you, you buy more than one rock. You have good faith. And um, you write two. And you're going to put, now you're going to have two in there. You're going to open up your journal. And you're going to write two. The time that check came through that changed everything. And then what's going to happen is over time, the rocks are going to pile up. And then somebody's going to come into your house and say, why do you have a pile of rocks with numbers on them? What is that all about? And then you're going to say, well, here, read our story. This is God's faithfulness to me. This is God's faithfulness to us. I wish I would have started this when I was in junior high. I mean, that would be amazing. My wife and I were kind of going, starting this exercise this week, and we were just reminiscing story after story of God's faithfulness to us. Oh, remember the time when we, we decided to do this and, and God totally blessed us? Oh, remember the time when we were just didn't have a penny to our name and, and so-and-so came and blessed us? Oh, remember the time when our four kids were born? That's rock-worthy. Um, remember those stories. And it was just exciting for us just to remember, to reflect, to remind ourselves of what God has been doing in our lives. And so this morning, what I've decided to do, rather than me sit up here and tell you a couple stories, um, I've asked a couple of um, people to come and share their stories. So at first, we're going to have Aaron Pratt come up, and he's going to share a story. And I've asked um, Aaron and then Cam to, sh to share us just one quick story 
And then in between them, we're going to watch a video, and that's more of a testimony. And Amy's going to share her testimony, and she's got like eight or nine rocks in that testimony. But, um, so we'll, we'll kind of give the mic over to Aaron, and he's going to share a, share a story with us about a rock moment in his life. Good morning. So I came on the wrong side. Brandon told me, come this side, and I messed up. <laughs> um, Brandon asked me to talk. Well, Wednesday we had a meeting, and he said, I need you to do something for me. And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> then, you know, something comes out. I'm like, ah. Um, anyway, and he said, I want you to tell me about it. Talk about a time when God just totally came through for you. And I couldn't remember anything. So when he said spiritual amnesia, I'm like, oh, yeah, I suffer from that because I couldn't remember. And then I got mad. How can I not remember when God was good? So many times God was good. And he, uh, I couldn't remember anything. Now, if I break down, I, I just want to warn you, I can't get through Extreme Makeover Home Edition without breaking down. So... <laughs> I will admit I'm a wuss about that, so if I, that happens today, please don't pick on me. Um, <laughs> the, um, about a year ago, I was just kind of, I mean, I'm involved in Ironman. I lead Ironman on Friday mornings. Um, I do stuff here at the church every Sunday. You see me running around like a chicken with my head cut off most of the day. And I was missing something, and I didn't know what it was. But there wasn't a lot of praying. There wasn't a lot of on my knees, God, help me. God, please come through. What is it I, what am I missing? Give me that revelation. And I just couldn't think of anything. I just, I, it was just in the back of my mind. I needed accountability. I needed a group of guys to, to work to talk to and mentor with and um, interact with. Um, and we, and it, nothing happened for a while, and I just, more and more was on my mind, this is what I need, this is what I need, and uh, a few of us went to dinner one night, three of us have hung out a couple of times, and didn't really know each other very well, but we just said, hey, let's go to dinner, and just BS and whatnot, and so I did, okay, um, that night, we decided to set up a group together, and the three of us, and then the next week, another guy that was that's involved in the group said, "Hey, let's get Aaron and these, and then you two together, because we need this group. We need to be accountable. We need to have the four of us get together on a weekly basis." And in February, so about a year, so almost a year now, we've been meeting every week. Um, the group's grown to six, and it's the most amazing group I've ever been involved in guys that just don't, that care. God knew what I needed. God stood up and said, here you go. You haven't asked me for it. You haven't said this is what I want, but I know this is what you need, and God always gave me what I need, and that was the time recently that I can remember, so that was a huge one for me, so thank you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Amy Belizeron, and I have been attending Antioch for about a year, a little over a year, and I'm just here to give my testimony, and it is such an honor to give my testimony because it's really just testifying of the love um, of Jesus since the day I met him, and so it's exciting to share that. Um, my life 
hasn't always been exactly a fairy tale. Uh, when I was four years old, I um, experienced a lot of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, and verbal abuse, and I think all my dreams <laughs> kind of were shattered from an early age. Um, I grew up confused and lost and um, sad, just really sad and angry. And at about nine years old, uh, my mom started taking us to church, my sister and I, and um, ended up kind of pushing me down the aisle to accept Jesus. And I wasn't really sure what that meant, and, um, but I was able to learn about him. And um, at least on Sunday, Monday through Saturday, I felt quite abandoned by him. I wondered where he was, and, and I just couldn't um, quite grasp the things that his word said. Uh, my adolescent and teenage years weren't that much better. Um, I kind of spiraled into a sin um, destruction that um, just left me crying out to him and to family and to counselors, just crying out for help and just never getting it. The abuse was um, had been continual since four, and um, and I just my heart just plunged further into this abyss. Um, after college, that college days weren't any better. I um, I at least got to get away and pretend and search for a better life. Um, so that was exciting. But I think that I just devoured anything around me that could help medicate um, my pain. And, um, and it usually wasn't something that was very good. Um, definitely I had turned and rebelled against the Lord and was kind of doing things in my own strength and learned to just shove that heartache um, down further. Um, at one point, I decided after college that I was going to change um, my direction and my destiny. I was going to take control of my life and um, be somebody. And I thought I had it all figured out. I got this amazing job at an architecture firm. I met the most amazing man on the planet, Dave, my husband. And I started into this um, journey of finding success and working a hundred hours a week, drinking two pots of coffee a day, bringing home the bacon, frying it up in a pan. I just was going, going, going. I thought, okay, my life is finally something to, um, you know, to, something to be envied, I guess. I thought I would, had arrived. I thought um, my life was perfect, and, um, but <laughs> that was what was on the outside. We were attending church. My husband was leading Bible studies. I was leading um, women's groups, a hospitality committee check, uh, chili cook-offs check, check. We were kind of this power couple doing it all and deep down inside I was still just so broken and um, sad and I remember, I remember driving one day um, down this road in Jackson Hole, Wyoming where we were living and I was looking at the Tetons and I just remember praying, Lord, I just want to know you more. I can't do this anymore. I, the hours were killing me. My life was killing me, and I felt choked and paralyzed. And a week later, the Lord answered my prayer, and I ended up having a stroke, which is kind of a funny way to answer a prayer, but um, it slowed me down, 
and six months later, I ended up having uh, open heart surgery, which also slowed me down quite a bit. In fact, kind of stood still. There came a time when Dave and I both agreed that we just couldn't keep running the race that we had in Jackson Hole with just the ridiculous hours. And um, he decided, let's just move to Bend. Um, this was about five years ago. And, and he knew my heart. He knew that I wanted to be a good wife and a good mother. And I wanted to offer my kids something amazingly different than what I had. And um, at this point, I was a mediocre wife. And I was um, hardly, I hardly even knew my kids. They were being raised by other people. And so um, he, God just totally answered that prayer, moved us to Ben. And, and then he started to redeem the lost time and, and honor the decisions you know, that we made to lay down our lives for him and just begin an intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, Shortly after we started this walk here in Bend, um, my daughter Olivia, who's, who's four, walked into my room and there was something so um, pivotal. It was kind of my big doozy moment where I looked at her and just saw her innocence and her joy and, and, I, and I went right back to that place of where I was four when all of my heartache began. and all of a sudden every ounce of pain came crashing down and just choked me and paralyzed me. I, I just remember just crying um, as I had to sift through a lifetime from four until 34, this is about five years ago, um, of sifting through bricks. I, I kind of likened it to a backpack of bricks dumped on my front porch that I had to go through. and. And I never knew heartache like I did that year in dealing with that. And I knew that a lifetime of therapy couldn't heal me. Uh, I'd been there, done that. And um, I even got a certificate in biblical counseling so that I could even heal myself. And that didn't do it either. And so I just uh, was at this point convinced that nothing could heal me and, and just cried out again, you know, will anybody help me? And God answer that prayer again. Shortly after that time, um, God, for whatever reason, called me to Indonesia um, for a missions trip. And I was scared to death about going, but I was on the balcony every morning with this amazing woman. Her name's Natalie. And, and she would open up the Word and talk about this freedom and Galatians and, and how I could have that. And I'm like, well, no, I, I don't think so. I just, I think I argued over the year, last few years about that with her a number of times. I just didn't think that I would ever not be raw and not be feeling pain and feeling heartache. And she said, no, there is. There's really a healer, and he can do it. And, and it was that passage after passage after passage that time of talking about Christ's freedom that I knew for the first time in my life that um, maybe my heart would be transformed. And so layer after painful layer, sin after sin, heartache after heartache, and victory after victory, God finally started to do something amazing. And I was now just tasting for the first time his freedom. And um, shortly after that trip, uh, Natalie would help me again and lead me through a K. Arthur study that just... Um, 
transformed, mostly just radically transformed my mind and, and just helping me take those thoughts captive and, and redeeming my, my heart and showing me who I was in Him. And, and um, it was really His Word, just, just clinging to His Word and, and studying precept upon precept and just digging um, that I just found that, that freedom. I look back and now I know for a... Or just with beyond a shadow of a doubt that his promises are true. I know that time and time again he never left me. Even looking back when I was a young girl, the things that he saved me from, the things that he did, and even in, in high school and college, the trouble that I got in, the things that I did, he was there every step of the way. And I love, I love that he brought me from slavery into freedom. And and I wouldn't trade my testimony for a million dollars. I love the things that he's done in my life. I love that he can redeem every, everything. He can take bitterness and turn it into love. He can take sadness and turn it into hope. And he can free um, a broken heart. And so I just, I'm so praiseful that he would put people in my life, like David, my husband, and my amazing kids, and Natalie, and my friends, and church and the word to just um, walk this journey with me and so it's awesome because the first time I feel complete in him and built up in him and saved in him and I know that there is a Jehovah Rapha that heals and his name is Jesus. Appreciate that. You must know I'm going to be really good. Um, no, my name is Cameron Reynolds, and my brother asked me last night uh, at dinner if I would say what God has been doing in my life over the last year. And it's been really amazing this last year. I think uh, my jar would be about half full just with what God has done with me and my family in the last year. And the first number one for this year would be uh, knee surgery. And I know that doesn't sound like uh, rock worthy, um, but looking back, reflecting now at this point of the year where I'm at, I can see that um, God is really slowing me down and preparing me for something. Um, I spent two weeks on my back in the basement on the couch watching movies, and my wife was about ready to kill me. Uh, but I could really see that God was getting me ready for something, something big. Um, my wife and I lived in Lake Oswego for over eight years. We built our family there. We were friends there. We were very involved in church. Uh, I worked at the high school there at Lake Ridge High School. And um, it seemed like we were really embedded and going to be there. But I really felt during those two weeks of knee surgery and, um, that God was changing. He was changing me. He was getting me ready for something. Uh, and my, I, my brother called me out to Antioch uh, to, do, to be at a retreat in uh, February and March. And I said, yeah, I'll come out for the weekend. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy visiting Bend. Never in any part of my being did I ever want to live in Bend. Um, I wasn't a Ben guy, I was a Portland guy, like a Swigo guy. Um, but after being here, I, I met with somebody, uh, Jerry Hackenbrook, who's a part of Antioch, and he said, you know, Ken, you gotta think about coming out here. We have a position open here at Summit High School. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not a Ben guy. You know, I'm, I'm really happy in the school that I'm in. I've been there, I've, I've built a name for myself. I, I really enjoy the people that I work with. Um, but on the car ride home, I started talking to my wife, and I said, you know, uh, Jerry Hackenbrook asked me if I would like to come out and maybe take a position at Summit High School. There's a position open. I'd, I'd have to obviously earn the position. And I said, what do you think about that? And um, 
my wife was like, well, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I'm not a Ben guy. Um, but over the next couple months, God started changing my heart. And he started uh, not only changing me to enjoy Ben, but looking forward to living there. But then I said to my wife, <laughs> moving to Ben, we're uprooting our family. We have a job. We have a house in this terrible economy uh, to sell. How are we gonna, if there's going to be too much stuff going on this year uh, for us to be able to just to pick up and move to Bend, Oregon. Um, but I really felt as I, as I prayed and I sought God's face that he was leading me to, to, to interview for the job. So I interviewed for the job, and I, and I got it. Uh-oh, another rock in the jar, I guess. But uh, we, we have to sell the house, and the economy is terrible. Uh, and during this time, my wife also said, you know, I feel God preparing me for something special this year, too. I, I feel like I should give up my job and stay at home with our three kids. And my wife and I have been sacrificing over the last 10, 12 years uh, for her career, and that would mean a significant change in our family. Uh, we would have to be going from, uh, we'd have to take a salary hit of over uh, three-quarters of our, our combined salary. So we're taking a hit in our job. We're, we're moving our family. Um, my job, and I, giving up what I had worked for, too, in, in Lake Oswego, but we still felt like God was leading us to do it. And so we kept trying to sell the house, and we worked our butts off in this economy to sell our house. And finally, there was about a month and a half left before I started the job here at Summit. We, we couldn't afford the bridge loan. We couldn't afford to have two houses rent here and there. Uh, and we sold our house, which was a miracle. Uh, about a week later, uh, the house fell through. The financing fell through uh, for the other party. So now we have about three and a half weeks before I'm supposed to be here. And I, there was a lot of soul searching at that point. I was like, well, why would you call me to do all of this stuff, to quit my job? If, if, if you can't provide for my family, I, I felt responsible. And there was a point where God just said, you need to give it up. You need to give it to me. And at that point, I did. It was the same evening that we heard that uh, our house fell through. And I just said, God, I'm done with this. I'm, I've been working for months trying to sell this house, and I can't do it. And the very next day, our realtor called and said, uh, this is incredible. Somebody wants to buy your house, and they want to pay you more than the other couple wanted to. And I said, okay. Um, <laughs> but there's another rock in the jar. God sells the house, and we have now three weeks to get in and find a home for us here. Um, God pulled out another rock miracle. Uh, we, we closed up escrow. Things worked. We, we, we found a foreclosure home. Um, that was an incredible deal that we could afford now on my, my sole income as a teacher. Uh, and God pulled it through again. And I'm looking at it now, and I, and I don't really know why the whole story, um, why we were called to do what we did. Uh, in many ways, like the Israelites stepping into the promised land, we knew that there was something big here going to happen at Antioch, and we knew that we wanted to be a part of it. And we knew that God wanted us to be a part of it. And so uh, I can see the rocks in the jar just for this year, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, stepping out in faith, not knowing exactly how we're supposed to fit into this church or this community, but seeing all the miracles God has done uh, over the last year, I, I can't wait to be a part of it uh, with the people in this room. So thank you for having us. Nice work. Thanks, man. You can always rely on your brother. So what happens when you start thinking back? Um, you go to lunch today, you stay up late tonight, and um, 
You just can't think of a rock. That's the problem with my message. What happens if you can't come to a rock moment in your life? What do you do? Is God not real? Does God not exist for you, but he does for, for those three people? What do we do when God's not tasting good to us? What do we do? The first verse I started off with, I didn't really read the whole thing. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There's a quote that I've been saying for, for years now. I say it often at the elder meetings. I, I live by it. My wife hears it. My kids hear it. Where God, got, where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. God was guiding the people to cross the Jordan. God provided. God was guiding Cam and his family to Ben. He provided. God was guiding Aaron to, to get a group of guys. God's been guiding Amy. She shared her testimony with us. If we can take refuge in the Lord... That's an action. That's a verb. If we can trust in the Lord, if we can let him be our rock, if we can let him guide us, he'll bless us. He'll provide for us. I love what Cam said. He's, he's I'm done, God. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. I'm giving it to you. God, finally, God says, finally, I'm ready to provide for you. I'm ready to give you a rock moment. God is a God who guides. God is a God who provides. So often it's us who get in the way. It's us who's trying to guide. It's us who wants to lead. And we can. But it, it won't be great. And we won't add a whole lot of rocks to our jar over time. But when we let God guide us, we're like jo Joseph and all the other guys. Joshua. It's like Joseph. Okay. We're like Joshua and all the other guys and the Israelites who followed him and said, God, you've provided. You've allowed these rocks and we look at them and we glorify you, God. We praise you. And we don't trip over them on stage when we're in front of a lot of people. And we look at these rocks and, and, and we say, God, you are faithful to us. And so... I've asked the worship team to, to hold off all the worship songs till the end of the service. And hopefully you've got a pen in your hand or that we've put some in the back for you to grab. And so as we get into this set of worship, think. And maybe you start jotting those, those times down. Man, God was faithful 12 years ago. God was faithful here. And God did this and God did that. And by the end of the message, the end of the time this morning as you're driving home, you've got five, ten, fifteen times God was faithful to you. And you go out and you buy rocks and you, and you start stacking them up. And, and I can't wait till I like have gray hair and I have grandkids and they come over and, Grandpa, tell us another story. Go grab a rock. What number is it? Eighty-eight. Oh, yeah, eighty-eight. That was the time when. That's when God healed. That's when God provided. That's when God allowed me to go on that missions trip. That's when God gave me that job. That's when God called us to move. That's when God spoke to me. That's when God opened up 
my heart to Him and I received Him as my Lord and Savior. God wants us to taste of Him. He wants us to see that He's a good and loving God. Let's pray, and I think we've got a special song for the offering, and then we'll just get into some worship this morning. Father, we thank you for stories like Joshua and the Jordan. We thank you that you are faithful to them, and we thank you that you promise to be faithful to us. Lord, let us not be a group of people who have spiritual amnesia. Let us be a church body, let us be a household, let us be an individual who pauses, who reflects, who thinks back and recalls your faithfulness, recalls your goodness. Lord, as everybody else is setting up New Year's resolutions and making promises they probably won't keep, Lord, let us be a group of people who look back and rejoice in the times we've tasted and seen, discovered, experienced your goodness. Thank you, Father.